the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday afternoon, and I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Please call the questions. Make the program much more interesting than me just reading questions. Our numbers are 340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way for you to call is to use the hands-free feature of the KSLR free mobile app, and you'll be connected directly to the studio producer. It's Tuesday. There's not a lot going on, so we'll get right to the questions. I do want to remind you, uh, especially for the men out there, that um, this week, beginning Thursday evening, is our men's retreat, and you are invited if you'd like to come. You can go to our website and get information on it in terms of cost. It's in the Marble Falls area, and you will be blessed. So you're more than welcome to join us. You can sign up um, by calling the church office, but you can pay out there and sign up out there uh, as well. So uh, you've got time to do that, and we'd love to include you in. Okay, one more time, 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox. And I don't know what that was. A question from our email inbox from Anonymous. said, Pastor Ron, I feel there's some presence of demonic activity in one part of my house. I say this because since the last few days that I've been in that part of the house, I wake up out of fear of something. I pray and ask for protection for me and the family. I've never felt like this in the other parts of the house. I'm married to an unbeliever. And most of the stuff in that part of the house is his. I can't talk anything about the Lord to him. It's just another reason for him to mock. Uh, Pastor, what should I do? Being home has been misery with all the yelling and the curse words that I get. Anonymous, let me first say, I am so sorry that you're in that situation. And it's the reason that the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. It's the reason that we beg people, don't date unbelievers, don't even consider uh, a relationship with an unbeliever. Uh, this kind of pain is is absolutely typical. So please, please, please um, know that we're praying for you, and I will continue praying for you. I don't know your name, but God does. Um, you didn't ask this, but you don't have to sit and listen to people yell and cursing at you. Um, so when that begins to happen, just kind of excuse yourself. Go spend some time with the Lord. Uh, and, you know, for somebody to argue, for somebody to yell and curse, it requires an audience. If if you don't provide an audience, then um, um, he'll he'll try something else. But, but please, please be very, very careful. Now, with regard to the demonic activity in the house, one thing that you need to understand is that apart from the Lord's um, 
permission, and there wouldn't be a reason that the Lord would give the enemy permission to, to mess with you. Um, the, the devil can't do anything but scare you. Uh, I don't know what kind of stuff your husband is into, if there's drugs, if there's if he's an alcoholic. I mean, it's very possible that there are, are demonic spirits, but they can't do anything to you, and that's what you need to know. Uh, that's what you need to know. Now, the other thing you need to know is that Satan has no mercy, and he knows the situation you're in. He's trying to destroy any possibility of your husband getting saved, and so he's going to bring these things to you at night. He has the ability to influence what we think. He can plant ideas in our head. Uh, he certainly can be the source of fear, but that's when we have to, instead of giving in to that fear, we've got to hold on to the Word of God the promises that God has made. He who is in me is greater, you can say, than he who is in this house. Um, you can go to Jesus. Hebrews says that he's your elder brother. You can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't fight. I don't want to fight these demonic spirits, so you fight them for me. I'm going to stay close to you. And Anonymous, when you're close to Jesus, there's absolutely nothing that that demonic spirit can do. Now, I'm skeptical when I hear people who think that there are demonic spirits in homes. Uh, you know, we get asked, and it's more superstition than anything else, we get asked to go bless a home, and certainly we'll do that, but uh, once the Christian walks into that home, the spirits go. It, it's not the house that's inhabited. I know that sells well in a lot of the church, but it's simply not true. The spirits want bodies for reasons that we can't understand. You remember when Jesus was casting the demons out of Legion, they begged to go into the into the pigs. For some reason, demons don't want to be disembodied spirits. So there's not a spirit floating around your house. We have to control our imagination. Um, we got to stay close to the Lord. Your problem is the demonic spirit that's controlling your husband. I don't mean to suggest he's demon-possessed. That's not what I'm saying. But we're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to righteousness, if we're slaves to sin, then we are serving Satan. And that's the, the demonic spirit you've got. So don't let um, fear um, compromise your walk. Uh, certainly you, don't, you can't talk to your husband about this because he'll just uh, make fun of you. Uh, but these are the times when now you show strength. And your strength isn't your strength. It's the strength that comes from the Lord. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And when you're feeling that oppression, and again, the enemy will do what he can, but when you're feeling that oppression, that's when you simply talk to Jesus. One thing, Anonymous, that I have purposed not to do, and, and as a very young, immature Christian, I fell in the trap like everybody else, you know, talking to the devil, I bind you, I take authority over you in Jesus' name, and all that nonsense. And the devil just laughs at that. And as I began to grow in my knowledge of the Word of God, I purposed in my heart many, 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 many years ago now that I was never going to spend even a minute or a word talking to the enemy. So when I sense the presence of the enemy, I simply say, Jesus, draw me closer. You protect me. Because I don't want to spend any time talking to the devil or his demons. So... I'm so sorry for the situation you're going through. Rest assured that this without mercy devil will will uh, use every trick that he can. He'll use every person in your house that he can. But you don't have to worry about you or your children. You're sort of invincible. As long as you're close to Jesus, you're invincible. And we know enough about his character to know that, that uh, I don't know how old your children are. You didn't say that in your email. But uh, we know enough about the character of the Lord that there's nothing at all that he would say or to, to allow the enemy to do any harm to them. So you're safe, um, but to feel safe, that's important. There's a distinction there. You're safe, but to feel safe, you've got to run close to the Lord. And maybe if you stop being so easily intimidated by your husband, uh, you stop getting angry or yelling back or responding. Um, that'll give the enemy, or, or, or will give the, the Lord rather a chance to show your husband that this is not the same woman 
that he used to be able to intimidate easily. This is a woman of quiet confidence. This is a woman who knows that she's safe in the hands of Jesus. And Anonymous, that's what I want you to be. I want you to be, uh, to know that you're safe in the hands of Jesus. I'll be praying for you. Please stay in touch. 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox. This one is from David. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. I just happened to catch the very last part of the discussion on the radio today between two Christians, one of them being Dennis Prager, regarding this question. Are all people judged by God? They did They did. They did seem to know how to address the question. Maybe you meant they did not know, seem to know how to address the question, and stop short of answering the question adequately. Mr. Prager summed up the ending of his show with that God will judge everyone, no difference between the Christian or anyone else. He indicated that he really does not see so much of God's love, but only of God's judgment. Um, Would you be so kind as to explain the differences? And thank you uh, for your and Paula's radio ministry. Uh, And this is from David. David, thank you for for being so kind. Um, David, a couple things. Um, uh, Dennis Prager is not a Christian. So don't don't get that impression. He talks about God a lot. He is a practicing Orthodox Jew. Uh, he has done a lot of writing and teaching on uh, the Old Testament, especially uh, the, the Torah. And um, uh, he is a devout follower of the Jewish faith. He is not a Christian. As such, he believes that everybody, Christians and Jews alike, everybody's going to be judged by God because um, Jews are are functioning under sort of a works mentality and, and they're going to try to be good and do good and that's what religion has always been. Religion is how good can I be so God will accept me. Maybe it would be better said how can I be good enough for God to accept me? And of course, relationship with Jesus is completely different. Now, Dennis Prager is very complimentary toward Christians. Um, uh, uh, he has spoken in Christian churches, uh, but never as a believer. And he's very upfront. He is a uh, a Jew, a uh, proud and practicing Jew. Now, here's uh, what we have to understand: that he doesn't understand the concept of judgment. He has no concept of grace. And so when he's in a question about are all people judged by God, um, they wouldn't know how to answer the question because they don't uh, recognize that that the New Testament is the authority for life and practice in New Testament believers. Again, I want to emphasize something, and this is for everybody in the audience. Religion is not a good thing. Now, he is a proponent, as Prager is, of of, uh, being religious. He says it improves the quality of life. But it doesn't improve the quality of life unless it's true. And religion, by its very definition, is not true. If you embrace a religion that is contrary to what is true, then you're lost and you're condemned to hell for eternity. And Dennis Prager, unless he um, repents of his sin and confesses that Jesus Christ is the Lord of his life, he will spend eternity uh, in hell. So what's the difference? Religions practice a works mentality. We who are Christians, we don't think we're better than anybody. We don't try to do more than anybody. We realize that we are sinners who are lost and Jesus rescued us. And anytime you're in a religion of works, whether it's Islam or Judaism uh, or or any other uh, um, Eastern religion, what you find is that they're trying to do enough good to get to heaven. And that's what Mr. Prager's problem is. He seems unwilling to, uh, to know the truth. I've listened to his radio program myself, and I've, I've heard Christians call and challenge him, and, and basically his is, well, I believe what I believe, you believe what I believe, God bless you, God bless me. Um, we who are believers, David, are more interested in the truth. So he is not... Uh, a believer, uh, and he would indicate that he doesn't see so much of God's love, but only of God's judgment. Um, uh, that's because he doesn't know the love of God. The love of God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ only, 
in the person of Jesus Christ. So pray for Dennis Prager if you are a regular listener to his radio program. Uh, he is a good man um, compared to me. He is uh, a very bright man. Uh, he is uh, conservative and defends uh, his values well. Uh, he is articulate, but he is lost. He's lost. Hope that makes sense to you. Thank you, David, for your question. Here's a question from Antoine. He says, this is an interesting question. Pastor Ron, why do you think more white pastors have not spoken out against racism? Isn't Jesus against racism? Well, Anton, Jesus is certainly against racism and prejudice in all of its forms. Now, the things that are going on in our country are a lot more complicated than just saying, well, I'm against racism, so uh, everything on this side of the argument is good, everything on that side of the argument is bad. We have lost the ability to, to communicate effectively with one another. Um, uh, I can't speak for white pastors. I'm a white pastor, but I can't speak for white pastors. Um, I can tell you that our church, because we teach the Bible and we go verse by verse, um, whenever we get to the passages of Scripture that deal with prejudice or racism or hatred, uh, we speak very clearly against those things. But Antoine, even the question um, misses the point. Now, here's the thing that we Christians have to adopt. Remember, um, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're not black, you're not white, you're not brown, you're not Asian. You're a Christian. And all of the differences between peoples are supposed to melt away. From God's perspective, Antoine, there's only two kinds of people, saved and unsaved. And God sees his beauty, his glory, and his image in people from every race. He loves everybody equally. So when we make the distinction about why aren't white pastors doing this, you know, my job as a pastor is not to speak about the political issues or the issues of current events in the world that we live in unless the Lord leads and it fits in the context of the Bible study. My job as a pastor is to teach the Word. I'm not a moral compass for people to follow. I point them to the one who is that moral compass. I want to be very, very clear too, Antoine. Real Christians simply cannot be prejudiced. If anybody in this listening audience identifies as a Christian and you hold prejudice against another race of people, whether it's white to black or to brown or to to uh, um, black to white or black to brown or uh, just prejudice against any group of people, then you need to examine your heart. If we don't understand that, we under, we misunderstand the, the, the transforming nature of the gospel. For God so loved the world, it didn't say for God so loved white people or black people or brown people or Asians. It said for God so loved the world. And what we've got to do is understand that the world is our field. The world is the object of our ministry. And whenever we start categorizing people into groups, racial or ethnic groups, we demonstrate a complete lack of understanding relative to God's point of view. And if you're a black male, Antoine, or if you're a white male, and that's your identity, then you've missed the point of what Jesus came to accomplish. And so we need not to think in terms of that. Now, I know that sounds naive because the world is embroiled in these things. Racism is real. I have been married to a black woman now for 45 years. We've been together for 47 years. I have children who are half black. Two boys. I have grandchildren who are a quarter black. And I've seen them all discriminated against. I've seen them be the objects of racial prejudice. I myself have suffered as I was disowned by my father when Paul and I first met. 
So prejudice is real in this world, but remember, we're Christians. We have the answers to the real problems in this world. We're not to contribute to them. We're not to, 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 to view them from one side or the other. We have the answers. And so, Antoine, when you see someone, regardless of their race or nationality, we should view them only as a child of God or a potential child of God. And they need to be the object of our ministry. One final thought here. With the media and the broad brushing that goes on in this issue, it's easy to label people. You're either for us or you're against us. Remember what Jesus said about that? If you're not against me, you're for me. So those are the things that we need to understand. We don't view problems from a worldly perspective. And if pastors, white, black, or otherwise, are not speaking out against racism, then they're not teaching the Bible. That's another solid argument for doing church the way the first century church did when Acts chapter 2 says that the people, the Christians, were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. They were being taught. And when you're being taught, your mind is being transformed. Your heart is being transformed by the renewing of your mind through the supernatural power of God's Word. So, Anton, that's the best I can do with that. Um, um, Don't expect that whenever a crisis comes up in our country, that the pulpits of America ought to jump in with an opinion. The pulpits of America, and I'm embarrassed to say that we're doing a poor job of it, but the pulpits of America are designed to declare one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. And when Jesus comes and transforms a heart, that heart stays changed. Somebody listens to a pastor like me talk about an issue of the day. If I make the most persuasive of arguments, I can't change their heart. Only God can. Our responsibility is to point them to Jesus. So, Anton, thank you for the question. I hope I was sensitive in answering it. I appreciate more than you know um, the sensitivity that you demonstrate. So thank you, Antoine. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We're getting close to the end of the first half of the program. Here is a question from anonymous, and they want to know if I recommend Charles Stanley's ministry and teaching. Anonymous, I do. Uh, Charles Stanley is a, a Southern Baptist. Uh, for a long time was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He is not Reformed in his theology, like so many Southern Baptists are these days. Uh, and Charles Stanley has been, um, now I've been saved for 26 and a half years, uh, and I've been listening to Charles Stanley from the very beginning. Uh, I think he is a capable, quality Bible teacher. Uh, he doesn't do it the way I would do it, but but I'm not the standard. Um, but uh, in the series that he does and the teaching that he does, he is very faithful to the biblical text. Um, and and I, I find no no reason not to recommend him at all. In fact, if if I'm in the car or or um, um, at night, sometimes I'll listen to to Christian radio on this station. Uh, if Charles Stanley comes on. He's one that I don't turn from. He's uh, he's somebody who is pretty dependable and has been doing it faithfully for a very, very, very long time. I have a feeling that people like me um, probably won't be able to carry his lunch bucket in heaven. Uh, I think lots and lots of rewards uh, go along with a man who's been faithful for so very, very, very long. So I hope that answers your question. That's about the best I can do. Uh, You didn't ask, but uh, I'm less uh, enamored with his son's ministry. His son is a a sort of a, uh, a hipster uh, pastor who um, um, I, I just think takes the wrong approach to church. Uh, he is a brilliantly gifted man, but um, I don't think nearly as faithful 
to the teaching of the Word of God as his father has been for a very, very long time. So Anonymous, I hope that answers your question. We're coming close to the end of the first half of the program. Um, let me remind you once again that uh, our men's retreat starts on Thursday and our sign-ups, we, we're taking there. You can register and pay at the retreat center itself. It's Camp Buckner in the Marble Falls area. And uh, we would love to have you. And don't worry about not knowing anybody. You're going to run into those beautiful men in the world, just men I've served side by side with for a very, very long time. And you're going to run into a whole bunch of new people as well. Uh, we'd love to have you. Registration is at 5 o'clock uh, on Thursday uh, out at the Men's Retreat. And uh, just tell somebody who you're signing up there with that you're a radio listener. And uh, they'll make sure that you get to meet me and anybody else uh, that can that, that'll be around there. You will not at all feel uh, uncomfortable uh, because of the men's retreat. Uh, I'll say this again to you on the program Thursday and Friday. Uh, there, there is no church here on Friday night. We always have a New Testament Bible study Friday night that will not be happening this week. Uh, other than that. Um, everything is as usual. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in today's edition of the program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, I've kind of been out of the loop today, so I don't know what's going on. I was just informed that there was a major earthquake in Mexico City. Uh, a lot of us have people in Mexico City that we know and love, and uh, I guess it's a 7.1. Uh, buildings have collapsed, and there are, as of now, 44 people reported dead. That number will almost certainly increase. Uh, but uh, that's a, a clarion call, I think, for all of us as believers to be praying uh, for our brothers and sisters in Mexico City. And for those who don't know Jesus, uh, we can pray that they would become our brothers and sisters. Scary, scary times. I know I've said this to you before on the air, but, you know, uh, coming from uh, growing up, spending almost my whole life in Southern California, uh, I've been through three earthquakes that were 7.1 or greater in magnitude. And it is traumatic. So um, just keep the people there in your prayers. We would appreciate it. We've planted some churches uh, in northern Mexico. Uh, we're going to be planting a church in the next year or so uh, in central Mexico. Uh, but we don't have anything from our church in Mexico City. But certainly Calvary Chapel does. And some of our brothers and sisters there are in harm's way. So I would appreciate your prayers. Here is a question from Anonymous. I'm not sure I understand it, but I'll do my best I can. Uh, how can a believer not be influenced by the world that we live in? There's so much pressure to conform and it's hard to stay focused. If I understand your question right, Anonymous, you know the answer. Stay focused. You say it's hard to stay focused. That's when we have to fight all the harder. I mean, we're in a battle for our lives. This world is trying to consume our lives. There's uh, an enemy who hates us. The world around us hates us. Sin and temptation wants to destroy us. And the only way that we can stand firm, that's what Paul says, stand firm. King James says, be immovable. And the way we can do that, the only way we can do that is to be with Jesus. And, and to be with Jesus, we've got to be in his word. And I don't mean just as an exercise or a religious thing that we do, but I mean be in his word to hear from him daily. You've got to know who he is. You've got to know the promises he's made. You've got to know him so well that you know the promises he makes are infinitely better than the promises in this world. And so, Anonymous, there's no way to stand under the pressure to conform in this world unless you're a man or a woman of God's Word. It's just that simple. 
be with Jesus, be in his word, get to know who he is, and the things of this world, and there's a worship song that we sing from time to time that has this line, the things of this world will go strangely dim. It's just not as attractive or persuasive the arguments from the world when, in fact, we stand with Jesus. You know, Anonymous, uh, we have a pastor's discipleship class here every two weeks. We had it last Saturday. It's every other Saturday as long as I'm in town. Um, uh, it's a pretty big class. We've got about 70 people that, that come to it, uh, men and women, husbands and wives. It's not to make women pastors. It's just people that really want to dig in and get a little deeper, go a little deeper with the Lord. And to some extent, we talked about this very thing this week. Um, how is it possible for a Christian who wants to be liked by people, who wants to be um, accepted by people, to say that there are things that are going on in this world that are wrong when the whole world says it's right? When the whole world points fingers and says, you guys are bigots, you're narrow-minded, you're haters. The only way is to work really hard at staying focused. And the only way we can do that is to be with him and to learn more and more about who he is. You know, one of the things I said in my Bible study on uh, this past Sunday, Anonymous, was that everyone who's a believer ought to know Jesus better and thus be a little more like him every day. Uh, I know Jesus better today than yesterday. Now, if I go all the way back to the beginning of my walk with the Lord 26 and a half years ago, uh, he was a complete stranger to me. But do you see, I made knowing who he was the goal of my life. And so every day you spend with Jesus, a little more of him rubs off on you, and a little less of you is left for the next day. And so every day we should love him more, we should be more like him, and we should follow him. Not because we have to, but because we get to. You know, I finished um, this past Sunday, Anonymous, uh, Romans chapter 8. My study was from verse 29 through uh, the end of the chapter in verse 39. And, um, you know, when I approach that portion of Scripture, all I can do when I'm talking to the Lord about it and what I've been doing ever since is thank you, Jesus, that I have the privilege and honor of being able to teach that passage of Scripture knowing that it's true. If God is for us, who can be against us? We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, to be able to declare that message changes people's lives. Now, as it relates to you and the pressure to conform to this world, I told that pastor's discipleship class that if they're not men and women of the word, then they will be persuaded by the arguments of the world. The world will be relentless. The world will, will, will just wear us down. And eventually we're going to cave in. The reason I say that is because I've seen it happen for years and years and years, and now I see it happening in abundance. I see people buying the arguments of the world, throwing away the arguments that Christ made. And remember, when he argues, he's God, so he's the only one with a point of view from which to argue. But because we don't know him well enough, we don't know his word well enough, we're persuaded by the world that we live in to go along to get along. And nothing could be worse. So, Anonymous, that's how a believer cannot be influenced by the world. You've got a purpose in your heart. Be steadfast, Paul says, immovable. Because unless you are, you're going to be moved. It's that simple. Our kids go away to university and they get bombarded with the pressure to throw away their faith. But they've seen it, the kids have seen it happen in their own homes as the parents sort of grow farther and farther away from the Lord and the relationship with the Bible is simply not what it once was. I know you didn't ask this, but this is just a word I think to everybody. Remember what it was like when you were a brand new believer? You were so excited because you you realized that you were saved. You were going to heaven instead of hell. Do you remember what it was like to get up in the morning expecting God to do something spectacular? 
Do you remember when you got up in the morning and couldn't wait to open your Bible because you wanted to hear from God? Do you remember when praying wasn't a chore? It was a delight. But we need to go back and do those things that we did at first. Because that's the way to grow in the grace and knowledge of God and of His will for your life. And if we're not committed to fighting for what we believe in, I don't mean fighting people, arguing, but I mean fighting to hold on to the promises Jesus has made for all of us. We're going to let go. And we're going to be swept up in a bunch of professing Christians who have thrown away the veracity of God's Word. So Anonymous, that's the best I can do. I hope that helps a little bit. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Jane wants to know, is it okay to donate organs? Of course it is, Jane. Of course it is. Not only is it okay, it's admirable. Now, here's my line of thinking. Once we die, what happens to these bodies is insignificant. It doesn't matter where you're buried or cremated. It doesn't matter where you donate your body to science or, or whether you donate your organs because it's a dead body. There's no longer any value. And if you choose to donate your organs so that somebody else can live, somebody else's quality of life can be improved, doesn't that sound just like Jesus? He gave his body so that we could live. So, of course, it's okay. It's an admirable thing admirable thing to do. And I wish, Jane, that, that and this isn't directed to uh, or at you, it's, it's just directed in response to this question. I wish we who are Christians would, would, would stop being so superstitious about death. I wish we would uh, just recognize that it's just we're shedding an old skin. You know, animals, snakes, shed their skins. All we need, need to understand is that, that the real us lives in these bodies. And we're going to be in heaven. It doesn't matter if somebody put my old body down the ground and kicked it and spat on it or called me names. It wouldn't offend me in the least because I'm dead. But I would really be alive in heaven. And then the last thing on my mind would be, what somebody's thinking about me or saying about me. So, yes, it's it's a good thing, and I appreciate the opportunity to answer the question. Here is a question from Jason. He says, Pastor Ron, I have a friend who says that we can become perfect. By that I mean no more sinning. Is that true? He also says that we don't have to repent when we sin because we are already forgiven. Jason, uh, I've heard this teaching a lot. I've been asked about it on this radio program a lot. Uh, it is a pernicious teaching. It is heresy. And uh, you need not to listen to your friend at all. Uh, furthermore, if he's really a friend, what you need to do is um, tell him how wrong he is. Tell him in love. And just tell him that's not what the Bible says. I'm telling him stop listening to the people he's listening to. There are some teachers in this part of the country who have um, internet or radio ministries who have been teaching this doctrine of sinless perfection that we, we no longer sin because uh, we've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We're saints, not sinners. Um, but the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. First John 1 John 1.9 well, why would John say that if, in fact, we didn't need to repent? He also says in First John, if anyone who says he or she is without sin, that person's a liar and the truth isn't in them. So, yes, we sin. And it is the height of arrogance. It is the worst kind of pride. When someone says, no, uh, I've gotten to the point where I don't sin anymore. Maybe one day you can be at that place, too. Um, there's... No way in the world that uh, that person has any understanding of who they are. Even the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 17 describes his own personal experience with his flesh. He basically says, I hate my flesh. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. And he concludes that he's a wretched man. 
while the same deliverer from his wretchedness is available to you every time that you sin, you just say, Jesus, I'm so sorry I didn't mean to do that. And basically his response, we forget about it. Let's walk together and start all over, start fresh. So uh, your friend is wrong. What he is teaching is a dangerous heresy, um, a very destructive heresy. And uh, you need to let him know, Jason. Sorry you're experiencing that. 340-9585. Let's go to Wimberley, Texas, and talk with Jim on line one. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Ron, I've called you a couple times, and I'm just hurting, man. I uh, I go to an ev- – I'm a member of an evangelical denomination, and uh, I, I wasn't born again. I know this for a fact. I wasn't born again until 2008, and because I was – Grew up thinking I was a Christian. Grew up thinking I was straight, going straight to heaven. And then it didn't really, it did, the actual new birth didn't happen until I was 42, 43. And the fact that I experienced that, it's almost as if I can see it in others, that's, that other people, I can see in their fruit. I can see, I don't know if I have the gift of prophecy or not, that sounds crazy, but I, I just sense that something's wrong in people's walks. Yep. And then so I tell my story, and then I say, well, what about you? And they say, oh, well, I was baptized when I was 12, or mm-hmm. my preacher said I was saved, or I said the prayer, and that kind of stuff. And I'm so hurting inside for people that could be deceived about their eternity because they don't really talk about a moment of being born again and the new birth and the new desires and, and all that. So I, I'm, I'm really at a loss. I pray about it, and I try to keep my mouth shut and not offend people. But at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, i got to tell them. i got to tell them what happened to me and then have them answer the question, what about me? You know what I mean? So yep. any advice on that? I'm just, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm hurting because of it. Yeah. Jim, I, I so appreciate your heart. This is, this is truly the heart of Jesus. Um, we look at somebody, we, we recognize ourselves in them. Uh, I don't think it's a word of prophecy. I think it's just a, sort of a, uh, a God inserting his heart into yours and giving you some wisdom, the gift of wisdom uh, or, or a, a word of knowledge. And uh, I, I think he's given you that, that, that sensitivity because he wants you to tell him. Now, let me give you some advice from Paula's life because this is Paula does this better than anybody I know. Now, we have to be careful when I use Paula as an example because she can say things that I'd get punched for. So I have to right, be really, right. really careful about that. But but when, when Paula meets somebody, um, she'll say, oh, welcome to the church. Are you a Christian? And they'll say yes, and she'll, she'll look them right in the eye and say, when were you born again? Mm-hmm. And, and she does that right away, right at the beginning. And, and it's because God has given her that same gift and that same empathy. Um, because the truth is, in many mainline denominations, uh, people aren't taught they need to be born again. Uh, I tell people all the time that church doesn't save, Jesus saves. And, and talk to me about the fruit in your life. One of the things, Jim, as a pastor, that, that, that puts me in that same place you are right now, is when I see people who really think they're saved because they've been in church their whole lives and and, uh, and, and there's no fruit, and I'll just ask them, well, why do you think you're a Christian? And, and that gives me the opportunity to, when they say, well, you know, I've been going to church, or like you, I was baptized as a baby, or I was baptized when I was a teenager, and, and I'll ask them, well, what fruit has come from your life? You see, when you meet Jesus, and I tell people this with a lot of enthusiasm, when you meet Jesus, everything changes. He storms yep. that, that citadel of your heart, and he, and he, and he does a complete remake over and um, uh, and, and i 'll see them they 'll look at me like, "Well, that hasn 't happened to me, and then that gives me the opportunity to tell them what Jesus said to the most religious man in all of Jerusalem, Nicodemus, right. when he said, "I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he will no wise inherit the kingdom of God and then i 'll conclude by saying that only born again Christians are going to be in heaven right. there's no there 's no distant relationship with jesus you 're his or you 're not." Do you want to be born again? And a lot of times people say yes. Um, many times they will they will just look at me like they're more confused, but at least I've told them. And Jim, God's given you this gift. He's given you his heart. 
So I know uh, by extension that he's given you that gift as well. So don't be afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. The, the, can you imagine getting to heaven and somebody um, uh, right. at the judgment seat exactly. says, well, you didn't tell me. Right. So if, if, if we believe what we believe is true, if it is true, then we are obligated to tell people. And so, well, what, what's interesting is people will throw, not throw it in my face, but they'll say Romans 10, 9 and 10 and say, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And, and, and I say, well, yes, I understand that. But in context, if you were to say it out loud in that context in Rome, you were uh, marked for death. So for us to say it in our culture, uh, you know, confess with my mouth, believe in my heart. Confessing with your mouth was the key that Paul was saying there. And, but, but because if you said it out loud in that context, in that culture, you really meant it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but let me. I, I think I think the key is there. It's not say with your mouth. Even the devils knew who Jesus was, and, right. and, right. and they, they acknowledged him. But um, it, the key is believe in your heart. And so what I do okay. when people do uh, people say that to me is I say, well, what do you think that means? Believe in your heart. And what they will usually describe is an intellectual assent to who Jesus is. And that gives me the opportunity to say, well, that doesn't save anybody. It's your heart. The heart is spoken of as as the very center of your soul, the very center of your being. Is your life surrendered to Jesus Christ? If not, you don't believe in your heart. And And the fruit um, is the fruit of truly believing. the, the fruit is the fruit. And, and you know, when somebody is a born-again Christian, Jesus lives in them. Uh, they develop a heart for people, the heart that you're demonstrating in this phone call. They develop a passion for, for wanting to be with Jesus. Now, I understand there are, are different degrees of commitment. And God, this process of sanctification is different in all of us. But when somebody says, I'm a Christian, I want them to explain to me what makes you think you are. And even more so, Jim, if I know a little bit about their life, and and I've got had people over the years tell me all the time I'm a Christian, and I know the kind of life they're living, and and I can look them right in the eye and say, but but I know the way you're living your life. There's nothing Christian about it. And then one of the things that I ask people, Jim, is have you ever lived one full hour just for Jesus? And at least, exactly. at least, then they've got to think about it a little bit, and and if they don't repent and give their heart to Jesus right away, which doesn't happen most of the time, I know the Holy Spirit's going to keep chasing them because He takes very seriously the profession of their lips. Yes, Amen. Okay. You're right. Thanks, Jim. All right, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, buddy. You too. Appreciate your heart more than you know. That's the heart. You know, when I first got saved, we're inside five minutes, so. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll just take a minute. appreciate Jim's call for breaking up the monotony of my voice. But when I first got saved, um, there was just something. And I know this was God working, preparing me for what I do now. But I was so filled with joy. I wanted everybody to feel like I felt. And so when I passed somebody in the street, when I passed somebody at work, when I passed somebody in the grocery store, no matter where I was... I was always sort of looking kind of deep into their eyes, hoping to to get a, a sort of a view into their heart. And I, I I could tell sometimes, but most of the time I'd just say, "Oh Lord, I want them to know you. Oh Lord, I pray for their soul. I pray that they would have what you've given me." And and that's the heart we have to have. And it's just too easy to walk around this world and not notice the people who are lost and hurting. We look at the people who um, are on the freeway off-ramps and we look at them with a little bit of disdain, if, if not disgust. Uh, we see the people who have different political views than we have and we, we look at them like they don't have a brain. We look at, at the, the, the gay community uh, in our city and we just think, oh, I don't want anything to do with them instead of, instead of looking at them as sinners who are going to spend eternity in hell. And the heart you just heard Jim describe is Jesus' heart. Jesus said to his disciples, right after meeting the woman at the well, look, the harvest is ripe. Pray that the Lord will send out workers into the field. We're the workers. It's our life's work. And winning people to Christ is it. There is a finite number of 
Gentiles who are going to believe before Jesus comes for his church. Wouldn't it be great if the next person who asked you those silly questions or claimed without any fruit to be a Christian, wouldn't it be great if you, you said, no, well, what makes you think you're a Christian? And you convince them and they said, I want Jesus in my heart and instantly we can be out of there. You see, that's our mission. That's why Jesus left us here. And I think we too often forget that. My last comment on this, Jim, is that it, it hurts my heart in ways I can't describe. When I hear people tell me they go to churches that don't teach that people need to be born again. He used the term evangelical. I don't like terms, but you know, when you go to a professing Christian church, a mainline denomination, they've thrown the Bible away a long time ago. When you meet somebody who's sort of entrenched in a religion and their hope is that they were baptized as an infant, it has to hurt your heart. It can't be one of those, well, they made their bed, let them sleep in it type of type of responses. As Christians, our heart has to hurt. And you could hear that in Jim's voice proud of you, Jim, and no, I'm not your pastor, I'm certainly not your dad, but God bless you for, for having that heart. Hey, we're inside the last minute, so I don't have any time for anything else. Uh, again, a quick reminder that we have our men's retreat this week. You can sign up uh, here at the church or at the, the campsite, Camp Buckner in the Marble Falls area. We'd love to have you, and you will be blessed. You've been listening to the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. God bless you. I'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.